Business Minds, presented by the Business Journals of Florida, and brought to you by Tico People's Gas, at the heart of Florida's energy. Tampa Bay Business Journal editor Alexis Milner spotlights the area's growing arts scene, thanks in large part to the passion of Michael Tomor, executive director of the Tampa Museum of Art. Michael, it's so good to have you on. Welcome to the Florida Business Minds podcast. Thank you, Alexis. It's great to be part of your team today. No, it's terrific to have you with us. And there's so much going on at the Tampa Museum of Art these days. And we're going to spend some time catching up on what's ahead. And there's a lot, potentially. And you recently completed one set of really important renovations. And I know you have some big plans and are raising money for a major expansion. But I want to start by looking back a bit. I, I think you're approaching eight years in the role here, leading this wonderful cultural institution. And while COVID hit all cultural institutions like yours hard, your leadership has led to some major growth and visitors and educational programming. As you reflect a bit on your tenure in Tampa Bay, you know what kinds of things are standing out to you? Well, I think there's a lot standing out for me. You know, I think that, you know, the assumptions that I had when I came here in 2015 were exciting and maybe a little bit lofty about what could be accomplished with this community museum that had really been around at that point for 95 years. And unknowing what the impact could be for the institution, the goal was, of course, to to do better community outreach and and um, really embrace the community as the art education resource for them. I think that what stands out for me is that the community was just waiting to be engaged at a much higher level. And so while I'd love to take credit and have my team take a great deal of credit for the great outreach that we did in bringing on community organizations, I think that they too were engaged and excited about getting more involved. It led to this kind of discussion about actually doing more than what we were doing. I think that we're fulfilling the role of the museum in um, a very standard way um, with very standard museum education programs, but the community really wanted more. And as we continued to talk with them, they were excited and we were able to respond very quickly. So what stands out for me, not just for the community, but also for the Tampa Museum of Art is the tremendous amount of growth. And I don't think that anybody anticipated that that would happen so quickly. So within, to give you an example, within five years, we we almost, well, we really did, we doubled our attendance in just general admission. We moved from about one and a half education staff, in other words, one full-time and one part-time staff person, to what is now seven full-time and 12 part-time staff just in our education programming alone, doubled the size of our collections and curatorial division. And all of this is really in response to this growing need and interest in more programming and also diversifying our programming. So the more we diversify, the more we offer opportunities for our community to see themselves in the programming that we provide, the more people want to get engaged. Right. So it's not just for one segment of the population, one age demographic, one ethnicity, one race, one program. We're looking now at 17 to 18 different programs that are reaching a variety of people through a variety of different points of entry to using art as a means of personal expression and enjoyment. 
the exhibitions have been stellar and there's been some really compelling work shown in the museum over the last couple of years, especially. And I'm sure you've got, well, I know you have a team that, that is steadily looking into the future and continuing that pace. But what you're talking about is really the sustainable future of cultural institutions, which is to find these these other areas around sustainable programming partnership with government and money. Does the growth that you just described in terms of education and I want to get into it as it relates to workforce and economic development, because I think yeah. that's really what we're talking about. But has does that surprise you as you think back? I mean, you said that there were some things that you were able to do that, you know, that went beyond the leveling up that you imagined when you first got here. But there was clearly pent up demand for this kind of, of leveling up. And I'm just curious, again, as you reflect, you know, does that surprise you looking back on it? I think yes and no. I think now after being here for almost eight years, it doesn't surprise me one bit. But I think that in the first couple of years of trying to put together a strategic plan to address this interest, yeah, back then I was very surprised at how fast the community was, you know, reacting to that. And a key word that you used in your phrasing is sustainable, right? I think this is something we talk about a lot, especially in the world of the nonprofit industry is, uh, can these programs be sustained? And I think that it's up to the nonprofit to build a business model of sustainability that the community can embrace and can engage with, both financially and in advocacy. So that's a very important word for us because nonprofit business models are very hard to sustain because of the way in which we raise our funds. We need a very strong balance of income generation, which has a lot to do with gate sales, in other words, ticket sales to come in for general admission, but also commissions off of food and beverage, also for the store opportunities to buy kind of unique merchandise and the renting of our space for community convening. All of those things have to represent an equitable portion of revenue generation in relationship to philanthropy, which is about sponsorships and it's about getting behind programs that have an interest both for individuals but also for corporations that also has to be balanced with funds coming from endowments that support the institution in the long run endowments don't necessarily support the institution uniquely but they're part of the puzzle and then the other part of it is public funding so both individual and corporate Public funding, in other words, from government resources, as well as through income generation and endowment funding, that is a balance that we all look for. Currently, we are really striving to better balance those revenue streams. And I will tell you that the growth that we're experiencing here at the museum has an equivalency to the financial impact. So when I came here, our annual operating budget was around 2.4, $2.5 million a year. We had about 15 full-time staff. We had very strong vendor relationships with hiring out subcontracted staff. Today, in the projection for the next fiscal year, that is doubled. So we are looking at a $5.4 million operating budget with over 50 staff members and the program doesn't stop, right? So for example, we were just notified that in the upcoming calendar year, we will be able to provide additional programs to independent seniors over the age of 65 through a $250,000 grant. Now we didn't anticipate that we would receive that out of the gate, but we will. And that will increase our budget and our impact and our footprint and how many people we reach. In addition to that, a $1 million grant coming from the federal government, 
um, was just shared with me from our congressional representative, Kathy Castor, and that's to reach an additional 25,000 students in 38 underperforming Title I schools with an art infusion program. So those two together, 1.25 million, on top of what was budgeted for the next fiscal year is tremendous growth. So we are cautiously optimistic that these things will lead to sustainable models for our institution in the near future. What a leveling up, Michael. I mean, it's really impressive. Congratulations on that. And there's so much work to do, but I think one of the things you're describing here is in parallel to sort of the growth that we're seeing broadly in this community, we've had you know a whole bunch more people and then sort of intellectual and cultural assets who move here and like the Vinix who endowed your position. Uh, and I wanna ask about sort of their influence in a bit. But as we talk about sort of the, and continue to talk about sort of the, the, the sustainable education programs and impacting students with arts education, you know, when we talk about visual literacy and communication skills, this is really a, a workforce in early learning and bodes well for the future workforce of Tampa Bay, which has long suffered from the sort of a lack of wage growth and and those kinds of those sort of systemic issues. Do you guys think about that and sort of this long-term vision about the museum's role in not only Tampa Bay economic development, but statewide? Yes, I think so. And I think also on a national level. So we take all of that into consideration. You know, our role and responsibilities in the community to ensure that the absence of programming within the school districts are filled by what we can accomplish in our business model. So having been around long enough as a director since you know the year 2000 and watching No Child Left Behind unfold as a new Department of Education initiative, art museums, and I think a lot of recreation centers became the unfunded federal mandate to provide services that were being weaned out of curriculum in K through 12. Those two things in particular, I talk about a lot, art education, and physical education, two disciplines that build critical thinking skills and allow us to take information that we've memorized for practical purposes in our daily lives and building of skill sets and be creative with those things to, to develop new trends, new ideas and thinking and, and use those as a jumping off point. Our museum provides those things in a way that are no longer introduced in the school district to the way that they were. And that's an, a terribly important concept for workforce development, economic development, creative ways to address situational challenges in your community, both socially and economically. And we can provide those things through art education. We think about those things all the time. And as those federal mandates and those state mandates come around the bend, we take a look at how we can fill in the gaps so that those pieces are not missing from the community puzzle. So yes, I think, I hope that I was able to kind of summarize that answer. It's a very, I think, awesome burden of responsibility that we embrace and not with trepidation. We do it strategically and we try and fill in those blanks as best we can because it's important. I think that trepidation is probably a good thing. It keeps you sort of on your toes and and not taking anything for granted, right? I mean, that's always something to remember. I think that it, it would be helpful to to share with our listeners a bit about the work that you completed. And I'll just digress for one second to say that when I, I've been here a while and the saw the evolution of the museum and you see, see it get built 
And we know there were some limitations. It's it's, it's an architectural marvel in many ways, but there were limitations when it was built in terms of the exhibition space and the footprint and what could be done with the budget that it had. You and I have talked about that. Yeah. But now you've gone ahead and, and maybe we can talk a little bit about, about the current you know renovation that you did on the ground floor that opened up exhibition space mm-hmm. and facilitates this, edu- this educational platform. I, I get the sense from walking around it that the museum has more to offer. The experience itself is more robust and more rich. Yeah. Well, you know, that whole conversation that we started with in this conversation about growth and the interest of the community in participating in more art education activities led to this self-evaluation of usage of space. And so within the framework, the envelope of the existing building, which is 70,000 gross square feet, we were able to identify 25,000 gross square feet that was not being utilized for public programming, redesign it and offer those opportunities up. And that growth, that better usage of space is able to address the growth factor. So we launched a brand new education center in May of 2021 after a renovation process of well over a year of just that 8,000 square feet to better offer studio art experiences and education experiences where that space wasn't available in the past. And to give you the result so quickly that what we were servicing over just a summer camp and class program over a six week period of reaching about 110, 112 registrants with about 17 half day camps or classes, that quadrupled as soon as we opened the education center, sold out with a waiting list. And in the same time period, offered 37 classes and camps and to over 400 registrants. Now that's just in a very small time frame, And that tells you about the interest. It wasn't just a vision that people would be interested. They were already interested. We fulfilled the promise of growing our space to allow for more engagement. And currently we are onboarding every um, month, the month of um, November, we opened a 3000 square foot additional gallery space in January, February and March of 2023. We will have onboarded an additional 8000 square feet of gallery space and that will allow us to provide more exhibition opportunities and more jumping off points to education conversations because those exhibition content serve as content pivotal points for education programs. So they're all very different. They all speak to different generations. They all offer opportunities for self-reflection and in different ways. And that I think will engage more people to want to see these additional shows. Even the visceral quality of walking along in Curtis Hickson Park uh, along the edge of the museum and the, all that glass, if you're walking towards the river on, on your right, that, that you didn't necessarily know what was behind it. But now you've got these you know, studio spaces and it's very exciting for you know, anybody who loves and appreciates any of that um, yeah. to, to say this is a place that's active and engaged, right? I mean, yeah. part of that is just sort of the, you know, the visual quality of saying, hey, something's really happening here. Yeah, I mean, it's so exciting to have been able to do this renovation and address the notion of being transparent in what our operation model does. So, you know, we have this extraordinary building that's sheathed in um, perforated aluminum skin. It doesn't really scream, I'm an art museum, but it does show some sort of like very interesting high quality architectural features. On the ground floor, though, we had a lot of glass, but it was all opaque. 
And so you couldn't see through it. You really weren't sure what was happening in the museum. The museum wasn't designed to show art on its first floor. So in the rediscovery of ourselves, we opened up all of that. We put transparent glass so that you could look in to see the studio art programming taking place and be able to see it at night when the museum is closed and have art on the first floor when you walk into the museum. And so if you're uncertain about what it is, you can actually see art on view on the first floor. Terribly important about engaging from a distance where we might have been sat back a little bit and a little bit out of reach. Now I believe that we are completely engaged at our ground floor level and the community should have no question what we're offering. And of course that comes um, from supportive and very generous people in our community that allowed that type of vision to become a reality. Michael Tomor joining us. Next, he shares the change in giving that's making a difference as Florida Business Minds continues. People's Gas, invested in lowering emissions and developing sustainable energy for a greener Florida. People's Gas is committed to Florida's clean energy future. Learn more about renewable natural gas at floridasenergy.com. I think that the community, and this benefits, this is sort of from my privilege of having been in my role for a long time in this community and observed the nature and tenor of giving and philanthropic consideration. And early on in my tenure, in, you know, and I got here in 2004, in this community, it was sometimes pulling uh, an act of pulling teeth to find big gifts. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact is that, that that's changed, and you've had some pretty major gifts um, in the last couple of years, from the Vinicks to the Corbett's to, yeah. to George Perez, among others, right? Is part of that just that we've had this influx of sort of people who have changed the tenor and thinking around giving? Or is it just sort of in parallel with people responding and seeing, hey, this is an institution that has has a high trajectory of growth and, and impact? I think it's a little bit of both. I think that investing in your cultural asset of your community for the benefit of the future for the community as well as for the institution makes sense. And I think when you're projecting strong growth, you're projecting engagement, you're able to demonstrate to the community that you're fulfilling the requests that are being made of you. I think that that's an investment that shows a remarkable return on your investment. And I would say that perhaps a little bit prior in funding of cultural assets and not just here in Tampa, but maybe nationally, we saw individuals that were furthering their own particular interest in particular programs. So they may support one piece of it because it's what they wanted to see. And they were hoping to share what they wanted to see with other people. Now it's about the entire institution as a whole, because I think that there's been a lot of change in the way that people believe what their responsibilities are back to the community. And so both on a corporate level and individual level, most of our supporters now are extremely impressed with and willing to support our ability to get out to the community that is underserviced, perhaps economically disadvantaged, perhaps faced with mass transit issues. They want to see people that have fallen through the cracks that are less fortunate due to a variety of reasons, homelessness, perhaps it's through job loss perhaps through mental health challenges. They want to make sure that those people are also part of the community that understands how to use art for 
purposes of engagement with other people as well as with themselves and to become more solid. So the, I think the funding discussion has changed. I think that, and what we're seeing in Tampa is we're seeing people wanting to invest in the health of the community is the same thing as people investing in the art museum as part of that community. It's not just investing in the art museum because there's a piece of art or a, a period of art that they want to share or see. It's a much larger and broader conversation. And the vision is apparent that people see that the vision is broader. And then speaking of that, I'm eager to explore one thought that I had as you were describing that, which is the role statewide in becoming a destination for southeastern regional art. If I think back a bunch of years, the Dali had that kind of reputation. When I was living in Miami, my wife and I would come up to the Dali. That was something that drove tourism in the state. But I feel like, and since we have statewide listeners, the Tampa Museum of Art you know, has changed its sort of trajectory and because of a lot of this work to become part of what's happening in Florida as a cultural evolution to be a place where there is really, you know, uh, an arts culture and community that that has leveled up, that it is world class. Yeah, I would agree. I think I think that just seeing what's happening with the Tampa Museum of Art, I think, could be seen as analogous to what's happening with the entire West Central Gulf Coast. So our museum is quickly moving from a community art museum to a national museum. And what's allowing that to happen is the investment financially into programs of national standing and delivery. And so as we continue to expand and better balance our programming, we can still embrace regional avenues of discussion through the visual arts and visual literacy, but we can also broaden that discussion. So, for example, having a better balance of maybe historically marginalized art by artists who were kind of left out of the timeline of art history and still balance that with those that are historically mainstream. Right. So to demonstrate, you know, the big names that everybody is familiar with out of the art history books and balance that with those that have somehow been left out just simply because of the the cultural discussions around what art was supposed to provide on a quality level. Those things now are better balanced. And most metropolitan museums that are large enough to provide that type of balance see greater energy because it's embracing for all members of the community to participate. And I think that, yes, Tampa is part of that and Tampa Bay is part of that now. And I think it's gonna to continue to grow. That, I don't think we're leveling off. I think that this is something that is gonna incrementally continue to increase. And part and parcel of that is is planned expansion, which yeah. I wanna make sure that we talk a bit about. The Red Rings yeah. scene show, you know, it's just some beautiful extension uh, space with lots of glass and light, which expands your exhibition space. But I know from having chatted with you about this in the past, some of this is just being able to host events and having being able to have a commissary or, or a kitchen and, and, a, and a place to be able to feed people right. uh, to drive that events business. Talk a little bit about that expansion and what you're trying to raise in terms of money. Sure. The 50,000 square foot expansion, which is well 
delivered in its intention on our website. So you can go to just tampamuseum.org and, and take a look at that on what we're trying to develop on an expansion piece. As you said, yes, a beautiful piece of architecture, extraordinarily well integrated into the urban landscape and the landscape of the park that surrounds us, Curtis Dixon Park in, in downtown Tampa on the Riverwalk. This is not just an expansion for social convening, although its flexibility allows for that and will provide a revenue generating stream that is unrestricted for operating support. A very, very important part of that balance that I was discussing before on sustainability of our nonprofit model. But it also provides for 130 seat sloping floor auditorium, something that was not developed and couldn't be developed within the envelope of our existing space. That allows for all different types of programming for small performance and film and video arts as well as lectures and programs along those lines for classes. And the large special event space is also a large flexible space that can seat up to 800 for an individual program, like a, an internationally recognized artist that wants to deliver a, a speech. But in that space also is a 42 foot long, 32 foot high digital wall for full immersion digital exhibition programming that would happen during the day or a featured film or a presentation that required a large screen. In addition to that, on the second floor and fourth floor of this expansion are outdoor sculpture studios, sculpture exhibition spaces on outdoor sculpture galleries that are open to the public that visit the museum. So artwork on all levels of this expansion from new technology to sculpture terraces, and even to the expansion of our art education program to then take into consideration culinary arts. So one of the kitchens that is being built for the special events will also have a chef's table and a working kitchen to teach people how to create extraordinary and creative cuisine, right? So all of that as part of the discussion of art education um, that continues not just for the visual arts. So performing, um, culinary, music, all of that integrated into this expansion piece. And it will help us become more holistic and more balanced in the type of programming that we can provide. That all comes with a price tag. So the renovation piece of our museum, which is coming to a close right now after, and we will have onboarded all of our additional gallery spaces in the existing building as well as education spaces, was a $14 million enhancement project. The expansion is going to cost closer to 90 million. And we're very excited to tell you and, and the public that we are more than 75% of the way to that goal. Um, so as we continue to raise money towards that and hope to break ground in the very near future, once that happens, it will be a two-year construction project and then fully operational and open to the public. It's going to guarantee a couple of things. One, that we're right-sized for the growth of our community and our programming footprint and two, that we are looking to the future for the diversity of programming that needs to happen that just can't simply happen in this smaller square footage that we have available to us at the moment. We are looking to the future growth of Tampa, not just to its immediate needs. Exciting, and none of that happens without you building the foundation for which you described in the first you know, 20 plus minutes of this discussion as we, as we begin to wind up, because we're getting to that point. And it's been just great to spend some time with you, Michael. And we didn't really talk a lot of, about you. I know you have art in your roots. Your mom was an artist and a printmaker. And 
I know that you, you know, you grew up in El Paso and had formative experiences in both central and western PA. Yeah. And you can certainly read, we, you, readers can read about you in, in a profile that you and I did together in 2020, actually, the, just before the pandemic hit. Yeah. But you can now add being a Floridian as part of your of, of your fabric. Yeah. Is that surreal at times for you? I think it was at first, you know, having, you know, grown up in desert Southwest and moving to the jungle is, you know, very different environmentally. I love the environment here. I'm a warm weather person and I feel lucky to have quality of environment and life like that year round. I love that piece of it. And I think Florida is an interesting place right now, I think, because there's so many people coming from different areas. They're informing growth and the direction of growth. So when you see um, people, you know, migrating here from upstate New York and New York and, and the mid-Atlantic area rather than what the, the snowbird migration used to be from Canada or the upper Midwest, you're seeing kind of this confluence of interests and, and ideas coming together to create something that is, I think, much more balanced in its presentation. And the people that are coming from those communities, and I always say this, are some of the most provincial people I've ever met. You think of that word being so attached and associated with small town rural in communities, but really when people are moving from an area that they grew up in, and it includes, you know, a dozen art museums and 30 theaters and, you know, cultural assets at their fingertips, they come to a new community and they just expect that that's going to be there. That's the provincial part of the conversation. And our challenge as a burgeoning metropolitan region, and the same thing I would say of our own art museum, is to meet the needs of those people that are moving here and not give them a reason not to stay because they will make this a stronger, better balanced area just simply because they're coming with different sensibilities. And the greater diversity of thinking, the stronger your community actions can be. And I think that that's the exciting piece of being in Florida for me as a professional, but also as an individual and part of the community to watch unfold. I think that that's very exciting and promising. And it has tremendous relevance on what we do, which is to cover economic development and growth and watching as this area uh, begins to add all those kinds of assets and you're a big part of it. So I think it's a good spot to leave it. And um, really, Michael, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being a part of uh, our podcast today. Thank you, uh, Alexis. And I want to thank you and what you do for the community. You are our voice um, of information and we appreciate the balance and, of the news that you put out there and proud to be a part of that as well. That's well, much appreciated, Michael. Thank you so much. Thank you too. Bye-bye now. Michael Tomore joining us. Thank you for downloading Florida Business Minds presented by the Business Journals of Florida and brought to you by Tico People's Gas at the heart of Florida's energy.